0: of chapter 19. And the saints have been raptured out at this point as we're reading. What we find the saints are doing, they are commanded, notice what it says in verse 5, to praise our God, all ye his servants and you that fear him, both small and great. They are commanded to praise. So what you read in verse 7, let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him because the marriage of the Lamb has come. So here after the seven seal Book is open. Here shows the blessings of the saints. And what is it? The marriage of the Lamb. The marriage supper of the Lamb. And therefore they are rejoicing. That's us. We will be rejoicing. We'll be happy and glad and giving honor and glory to our Lord Jesus Christ when we get into heaven. By the time you get to verse 9, notice what it says once again. Kind of a little bit of review from last Wednesday. John is told to write, blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. The Word of God pronounces you are blessed. Don't look for a blessing. The Word of God says you are you are already blessed. So here you're blessed because you've been called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. These are true sayings of God. John falls at his feet and he worships. Now what's going on at this time as we look at these first ten verses of chapter 19? What's going on on the earth when we're in heaven? The tribulation has come to pass and people are going through much tribulation. We are looking at it from a viewpoint from heaven in chapter 19. And Christ is ruling with a rod of iron and we are co-reigning with Him. But the time of the end of that tribulation has come to pass. It is the time as it's described over in Revelation 16 and verse 16. It is the battle of Armageddon. Now, I'm pretty sure most of y'all have heard of the place called Armageddon, where it actually is. I don't think anybody can actually put their fingerprint on it, but it's where everything consummates. It's where the end comes crashing down upon this old world and all of its sinners. John has a vision. It's his second vision. That first one is in the first ten verses. So here is the second vision since the sealed book is open. And what it does, it pictures our Lord Jesus Christ who is coming to earth to conquer and to rule and to reign forever and ever. I want you to notice, as Christ returns, it talks about His return. It describes our Lord Jesus Christ. And then it talks about those that are coming with Him. Now remember, we're in heaven with him at this time. And therefore, those who are coming back with Christ will be us who are coming back and to conquer and to rule and reign forever. I want you to notice how Christ is described. In verse 11, John says, "...and I saw heaven opened." Now this ain't the first time he saw heaven open. Can you imagine what would happen if you saw heaven open? I think our mouth would drop. And we probably would faint if we saw heaven opened. One day we're going to be right there. And notice the word of God says, And behold a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness he doth judge, and he makes war." His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture, dipped in blood. And his name is called the Word of God. Now skip on down to verse 15. Verse 15 says, And out of his mouth goes a sharp sword that with it he should smite the nations and he shall rule them with a rod of iron and he treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of God. And he has on his vesture and on his thigh a name written King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Here is a description of our Lord Jesus Christ as he returns. I want you to notice first off, and this will make you, I want you to use your imagination just a little bit, When Christ returns, the Word of God describes Him returning upon a white horse. So I'm going to ask you a question. Are there animals in heaven? You know what? The Word of God says there are living creatures. That's the word beast, living beast. Beast is not something like, you know, you'd be scared of. But there's living creatures. So therefore... Here's Christ coming. Now I understand, as far as revelation, there's a lot that's given in figurative language. But here he's returning on a white horse. He's coming in clouds of glory, just like he left, is what the Word of God says. I believe in heaven there are things that we don't even know what all's there. I think we're going to be ever learning, ever growing, ever in amazement and wonder. I think there will be animals. There will be creatures that God has created. And here our Lord's returning upon a horse. Now, notice this horse is a white horse. Now, what does white represent generally? It represents the righteousness. You think about it, the purity. And what's the righteousness and purity symbolic of if he's riding a horse and it's representing righteousness? What's he coming on a white horse for? He's coming to conquer. He's coming because judgment is coming down upon this earth. And let me tell you, all of his judgments are righteous and pure. He's coming forth to conquer. Listen to what it says over in Isaiah chapter 11. In Isaiah chapter 11, you actually read about this and notice down in verse uh, 4, it says, But with righteousness shall he judge the poor and reprove with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips shall he slay the wicked. Just by speaking... He's going to conquer. Here, notice what the Word of God says. He's coming back. He's coming forth to conquer. He's coming back and as He conquers and pronounces judgment upon this earth, it's all righteous judgment. Notice how He has described the phrase right after that. The one who sat upon Him was called faithful and true. Our Lord Jesus Christ is called faithful and true. Now, what does it mean to be faithful and true? Faithful and true is very simply describing someone who is trustworthy. Someone who's going to do what He says He's going to do. He's going to accomplish His purpose. The interesting thing that Christ is talked about in this language and given this title previously, if you notice back in Revelation chapter 3... Notice what it says in Revelation chapter 3 and down in verse 14. Revelation 3 and verse 14, And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write these things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness. So he's called the faithful and true witness way back in Revelation chapter 3. Look in Revelation chapter 22. In Revelation 22, we skip ahead a little bit and notice what it says in verse, down in verse 6. And he said unto me, These sayings are faithful and true. And the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angel to show unto his servants the things which must shortly be done. You remember that's how the book of Revelation started out. Write the things that must shortly come to pass. These things are faithful and true. Here's the end of the message saying these things are faithful and true. It's the Word of God that is faithful and true. Notice what it goes on to say. Back, If you back up even a little bit further, in um, over in Hebrews chapter 3. Notice what it says in Hebrews chapter 3. Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus, who was faithful to him that appointed him. This one thing we know, we all believe... Christ is faithful. He is trustworthy, worthy of all our trust. Look in Hebrews chapter 10. In Hebrews chapter 10 and down in verse 23. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for He is faithful that promised. Now you know what? Here we have... Christ being presented as being trustworthy. What Christ has said, that He will do. Therefore, He is faithful who has promised. Because He is faithful who has promised, all that He's promised you and I, He will do because He's trustworthy. You know what? Here is some assurance for the believer Here is where our hope lies. It's in our Lord Jesus Christ and His faithfulness and His truthfulness. Notice how the Word of God goes on to describe Him in Revelation 19. The Word of God tells us, And in righteousness He doth judge and make war. Oftentimes in war and in judgment there's a lot of injustice Over in Ukraine, there's war going on. Is there unrighteousness and injustice going on? You know what? That's a big ball of wax over there. There's a lot involved, more than what you and I are seeing. There's a lot of things going on that we don't know about, not only on a spiritual level, but even on a physical level and an ungodly level, not only with Russia that's even doing wrong Ukraine is doing wrong, and I believe the United States is doing wrong too. There's a lot of ungodliness ungodliness in that. But what we see here, when Christ comes, he's coming in righteousness to judge, and his judgment is righteous, and he's also coming and he's declared war, and the war he's going to have, it's going to be a righteous war. In other words, righteousness shall reign. The Word of God goes on to describe our Lord Jesus Christ. It says, His eyes were as a flame of fire. When you think about Christ and His eyes being a flame of fire, that means He sees all with a pure vision. Notice this, He's described like this already once before over in Revelation Chapter 1 and down in verse 14, John, when he saw him, it says, His head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire. You remember back in chapter 2 in verse 18, the Word of God says in Revelation, And unto the angel of the church in Thyatira write, These things saith the Son of God, who hath his eyes like unto a flame of fire, and his feet are like fine brass. In other words, his eyes sees with a purifying vision. He knows your heart. You know what? He he knows without even talking to you. He knows what you're thinking right now and he knows what your innermost desires are within your heart. He sees as his eyes are with a flame of fire. He sees all things. Even the hidden things He sees. The Word of God goes on to describe our Lord in this passage of Scripture. The Word of God says on His head were many crowns. Now many people who think, think with me for a moment. If you take everything literal in the Word of God, when it comes to the book of Revelation, and none of it is written in symbolism or by signs, which it says it is in chapter 1, but there are some people who disregard that and say, no, it's all absolutely literal. Picture Christ, and on his head are many, many crowns. Now, you know what? That's hard to picture, realistically, a crown on top of a crown, maybe one to the side on the crown, and then one hanging off a piece of the crown. So they're all stacked up in a bunch of crowns. You know, what this is showing, it's showing that he has full authority. He has many crowns. In other words, he is king of kings and lord of lords. Because he is king of kings, that's why it's displaying. He's pictured as with many crowns. He's not literally walking around with a head stacked full of crowns. It's talking about the authority that a king has. And here is the king of all kings. And what is a king known for? He's known for his royalty. And here is Christ in his royalty displayed in the Word of God. Notice the Word of God goes on to describe him. And it says he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. Now ponder that for a moment. Why is the Word of God telling us that Christ, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the one who is faithful, the one who is true, why does the Word of God tell us he's got a name, but nobody knows that name, but he knows that name? You know what? When it comes to God and knowing God, only you can only know God as he reveals himself to you. God makes Himself known through the Word of God by giving us many different names, compound names, which they're going over at the Bob Brown House. Many different types of names: Jehovah Shammah, Jehovah Tishkenud, Jehovah uh, Rapha. Jeho- you know, you can go on and on. What the reason you find those names in Scripture is because God is giving you a picture of who He is. But hear what the Word of God says, that our Lord Jesus Christ has a name that has not been revealed yet. In other words, what I look at this as is we're going to be ever learning. We're going to be knowing more and more about Jesus, just like we sing in our day and time, more, more about Jesus. You know what? It should be your heart's desire to know Him more. There is so much, and it's inexhausting. You cannot exhaust your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. You cannot exhaust your knowledge of the Word of God. You can study it and study and study it all your life long, and you know what? You'll still find something that you hadn't seen before. You can be reading a passage of Scripture you've read umpteen times, and all of a sudden something just hits you. Ever happened that? Ever happen that to you? You know what I'm saying. <laughs> and it's like... All of a sudden, your eyes are open to something. And it takes God to open your eyes to it. Here, what we find, Jesus Christ has a name, and no one knows it. Listen to what it says. I think I've got it written down in chapter 3 and down in verse 12. "...him that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go no more out." And I will write upon him the name of my God, the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God. And I will write upon him, notice here, my new name. The Lord's going to give us that new name. I find this very intriguing. Names reveal a person's character. The Word of God goes on further to describe our Lord Jesus Christ. And notice what it says in verse 13. He was clothed with a vesture. Now what is a vesture? If you've got a different translation, you might have a different word there. It's talking about a robe or a garment. So he's wearing this robe or garment. And notice the Word of God says it is dipped in blood. Now what does that symbolize? Here is the Lamb of God. With a robe dipped in blood, I believe it points to the sacrifice that he made for our sins. He suffered, bled, and died for our sins. It shows forth his finished work that he accomplished to conquer sin and death. And notice the word of God calls him. His name is called the Word of God. Now just the previous verse talked about he had a name nobody knew. Here's a name that we do know. And that name that he's revealed to us is the Word of God. You remember what it says in John chapter 1 in verse 1. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. And the Word of God tells us down in verse 14... And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus Christ is the Word of God. He is the Alpha and the Omega. That's like saying He is the A and Z in English. And, and here in the Greek, He's the Alpha, the beginning, and He's the Omega. He's the end. He's everything from A to Z, everything from Alpha. Omega, He is the Word of God. And here's how He has revealed Himself to us. And you know what? He's got more to reveal. More to show us of all of His glory. Now I want you to notice as we continue to read on here, it talks about the armies that He's coming with. The armies which were in heaven followed Him... And notice the description of these armies that are in heaven. As Christ comes on a white horse, the Word of God says these armies are coming with Him from heaven, and they're upon white horses also. Therefore, that uh, that represents the righteousness and the purity, and here they're coming, and they're coming in judgment along with Christ. So who are riding these horses that are the armies? Notice it describes them. It says they're clothed in fine linen, white, and clean. So the white horses, it shows that's purity. Here's the fine white linen. Who is that describing? Notice what it says as you reference other verses. Look in verse 8. Verse 8 says, And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. For the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. Here is the bride of Christ. Those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ that are in heaven, they're clothed in fine linen, white. It's the same as the armies that are coming from heaven. Look back in chapter 7 of Revelation. Chapter 7 in Revelation, look down in verse 9. And here's where the rapture happens. God's going to come back. Christ is coming and the redeemed are called out. Here it says, After this I beheld, and lo, a great multitude which no man can number, of all nations, kindreds, and people, and tongues, stood before the throne. They're no longer on the earth. They're before the throne, before the Lamb. They're clothed with white robes and palms in their hands." Notice what it says down in verse 13. One of the elders answered, saying unto me, What are these which are arrayed in white robes? And whence came they? I said unto him, Sir, thou knowest. And he said to me, These are they which came out of great tribulation and have washed their robes, made them white in the blood of the Lamb. This is the redeemed that are in white robes. They're coming as an army with the Lord... Are we not likened to Christian soldiers at times? Don't we sing over Christian soldiers? Are we not in a warfare? You know what? We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Listen, if you got a problem with me, you ain't wrestling with me. It's a spiritual problem. We don't wrestle against each other. The Word of God tells us in Ephesians chapter 6, but we wrestle against spiritual wickedness in high places. In other words, when there's problems and there's divisions and strife, it's a spiritual matter. It's not a physical matter here. We are seeing these armies of our Lord. They're coming from heaven. They're coming with Christ. And I want you to notice the weapons that our Lord uses in battle. The Word of God tells us in verse 15, out of his mouth goes a sharp sword. I remember the first few times I read Revelation. I imagined in my mind, here comes Christ on a horse with a big old sword coming out of his mouth going back and forth, whacking everybody. That's not what it's talking about. Here it's using imagery. It's using picturesque language. The Word of God tells us over in Hebrews chapter 4. You remember down in verse 12 that the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. And it's piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. That's God's Word. Christ is the word of God when he speaks let me tell you that swords piercing hearts left and right so here is the weapon that comes out of his mouth that with it he should smite the nations you remember he could have called a uh, 12 legions of angels when he was upon that cross But he didn't do it. All he had to do was speak the word and poof, everybody been gone. But he didn't do it. That's the power of the word of God. The power of Christ as he speaks. He's coming back someday with that power coming forth from the mouth as he speaks. And that with it he shall smite the nations and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. Notice how he rules. He rules with a rod of iron. When we read over in Psalm 23, you remember that portion of Scripture, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. This is not the rod it's talking about. This is a rod of iron. Rod of iron means a stern rule. Christ rules us, but when He rules us, He comforts us. The Word of God speaks of His feet. Notice it says He treads in verse 15, the wine press of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. It's like a winepress, and He is stomping out the enemy. Just like you would... Squish grapes. Make wine. You get your feet all oozed in the grapes. And the juice flows out. Except here it's talking about wicked mankind. He treads them out as if he's in a wine press. Notice in verse 16, the word of God says, He has on his vesture, or his robe... And on his thigh, a name written, He is King of kings and Lord of lords. This phrase speaks of the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ. There is no higher authority. There is no greater king. He is king of all kings and he is Lord of all lords. And that's how he's coming back. He's coming back in full authority to rule and to reign. Now what you have from here on out through the rest of the chapter, you've got a view of Armageddon which was talked about in chapter 16 in verses 12 through 21. That gave you kind of a short viewpoint and that was from the viewpoint of the loss in chapter 16. Here what we have is the viewpoint from the Lord's viewpoint in chapter, seven t- or chapter 19 and down in verse 17. And I want you to notice what it says. We have, it's kind of like, if I can give you a uh, picture language, it's kind of like the war that's going on in Ukraine. There are correspondents in different areas that are report- reporting such as in the capital, such as in other major cities. There are correspondents. Even so, in chapter 16, you have a correspondent there that's reporting, and it's from the lost point of view. Then here you have a correspondent reporting from the Lord's point of view, the redeemed's point of view. Notice what the Word of God says. It says in verse 17, "...I saw an angel standing in the sun..." And he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven, Come and gather yourself together unto the supper of the great God, that you may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of captains and the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and of them that sit on them, and the flesh of all men, both free, bond, both small and great. They are called to this feast. It's the opposite of the marriage supper of the Lamb. Here is a judgment feast. This judgment feast, these birds and these vultures are all called to it to come feast upon those that are remaining that God's judgment is falling upon. And notice it gets descriptive. In verse 18, verse 19, it says, "...and I saw the beast..." And the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse and against his army. Now pay close attention to verse 19 here. This is the political power of Satan. And notice who's gathered together in verse 19. It's all the kings of the earth. That means all the presidents, all the rulers, all the people in power of this earth, and all their armies that have gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse and against his army. You know what that sounds like to me? Something I heard President Biden say the other day. One world order. You know what? The kingdoms of this world will unite someday to try to stop Jesus Christ from coming to this world. They're going to be one world order. It pictures it right here in verse 19. They're going to try to stop him, but you know and I know they can't. I want you to notice the outcome in verse 20. And the beast was taken. Now the beast is the political arm of the dragon, Satan. The beast is taken... With him the false prophet. The false prophet prophet is Babylon, the whore, the unfaithful one, and that's the religious arm of Satan that worked miracles before him with which he had deceived them that had received the mark of the beast and them that worshipped his image. These both... Here's the political arm, the religious arm. These both were cast alive into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone. Here's the outcome. Now what's going to happen to the remnant that remain? The small portion of those that are ungodly that remain, it says in verse 21. And the remnant were slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse, which sword proceeds out of his mouth, and all the fowls... "...were filled with their flesh, all the birds and the vultures filled up on them that had died." Now what about the dragon? Here's his political arm destroyed. Here's his religious arm destroyed. But the dragon, what happened to him? Notice in the first three verses of the next chapter, and we'll stop here after verse 3... Verse 1 says, I saw an angel come down from heaven having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years. Here's the power behind the beast out of the sea and the beast out of the earth. The beast out of the sea, the political, the beast out of the earth, the religious... Here's the power who is Satan. He is chained. And the word of God says for a thousand years. And the word of God says in verse 3, And cast him, this angel did, into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal upon him that he should deceive the nations no more And the word of God says, till the thousand years should be fulfilled. And after that, he must be loosed a little season. The end has come as far as the destruction of all the wicked. But here is Satan who is bound with a lid on that bottomless pit where he cannot get out for a thousand years. Now what happens... After this period, dot, 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 to be continued. We will look at this next week. Is that a literal thousand years? Does that mean 365 days times 1,000? But yet the Jewish calendar is not 365 days. What is it talking about when it talks about a thousand years? This one main thing we do know is talking about, Satan's going to be bound. God's people are ruling and reigning upon this earth. And then we're going to see what happens next week. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. And Lord, we do pray that we would have clear understanding of what you are telling us through your word. We look forward to the day of being with you, ruling and reigning and exalting you for who you are and what you've done. Lord, we pray that you give us understanding and wisdom. Help us to grow in wonder of you and awe of you with utter amazement for who you are. May we be caught up with thinking upon your glory and your majesty, your royalty. Lord, we ask that you would give us a mindset here upon this earth as we will have one day in glory where you command us to praise you And therefore we will be glad and we're going to rejoice and we're going to honor you. Help us to do that even so at this time. Let our mouth be filled with your praises. For Christ's sake, amen. And you are dismissed. I will tell you this, a forewarning. If the rapture happens, I will not be back to explain next week the thousand years.